Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pages Unknown, the podcast dedicated to all things bookish and nerdy. My name is Zachariah, and I will be joined, as always, by my fabulous co-host, Michaela. Say hi, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. As a reminder, new episodes of Pages Unknown air every Wednesday. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, and TikTok so that you get notified for all of our new episodes. If you like what you hear, please give us a quick rating. Thanks, y'all. This month is AAPI Heritage Month as well as Jewish American Heritage Month, and we are prioritizing stories by and about AAPI and Jewish folks. There are a lot of month-long celebrations throughout the year, Black History Month, Pride Month, and the two I've just mentioned. Reading stories by folks from these respective communities shouldn't just be delegated to a single month. We can and should read these stories all year round. For this week's episode, we read Juniper and Thorn by Ava Reed, a dark fairy tale that was delightfully terrifying and will definitely stick with us for a while. We want to take the opportunity to give a trigger warning for this episode. This book deals with dark themes and includes gore, body horror, child abuse, cannibalism, domestic abuse, self-harm, suicidal ideation, murder, bulimia, xenophobia, anti-Semitism, animal death, and some consensual but graphic sexual scenes. Keep that in mind and make sure you take care of yourself. That was a lengthy list of trigger warnings. And I'm sure now (laughs) you're a little bit afraid (laughs) of like, what the hell is this book about? (laughs) And I can't lie to you. I feel like some of the summaries that I was reading about this book before we started it don't really describe it very well. All the summaries I read Mm. were like, A young witch sneaks out from her tyrannical wizard father's thumb to fall in love with a city and a boy and a life that she always dreamed of having, all while a monster stalks the city and threatens Marlinchen, our main character, threatens her family and her way of life. And I guess in the loosest sense, this is an accurate Mm -hmm. description of what's going on in this book, but (laughs) as you could probably tell from the trigger warnings, there's a lot more going on. (laughs) (laughs) let me just give you a taste here let me let me describe to you what this goodreads summary says and then zachariah and i will give you (laughs) our notes (laughs) our critiques on it so from the highly acclaimed best-selling author ava reed comes a gothic horror retelling of the juniper tree set in another time and a place within the world of the wolf and the woodsman where a young witch seeks to discover her identity and escape the domination of her abusive wizard father, a gruesome curse, a city in upheaval, a monster with unquenchable appetites. Marlinchen and her two sisters live with their wizard father in a city shifting from magic to industry. As Obla's last true witches, she and her sisters are little more than a tourist trap, as they treat their clients with archaic remedies and beguile them with nostalgic charm. First note. (laughs) (laughs) One of her sisters, Undyne, is a seer. She brings these people Mm -hmm. out to a pond and looks into the pond's water and she can tell them the future and answer their questions. Another sister, Rosenrot, is an herbalist. She, yeah, we'll call her Rose because they do in the book. But her her name is Rosenrot. (laughs) She makes remedies for different types of physical and mental ailments out of natural herbs and things you can find in Mm -hmm. nature. I don't know that I would describe them as a tourist trap because they have they it's mm. not so much like a going to a fortune teller on a boardwalk you know it's a lot deeper than that yeah. where people are cursing their husbands <laughs> like asking it's very <laughs> very dark 
Marlinchen spends her days divining secrets in exchange for rubles and trying to placate her tyrannical, xenophobic father who keeps his daughters sequestered from the outside world. True. Yep. But to a way greater extent than what that sentence is letting on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But at night, Marlinchen and her sisters sneak out to enjoy the city's amenities and revel in its thrills, particularly recently established ballet theater, where Marlinchen meets a dancer who quickly captures her heart. Marlinchen goes out once. Well, twice. Mm -hmm. Once with her sisters and once after that. They only go to the ballet. (laughs) There was no description of anything else besides the ballet and the beach. That's it. Mm -hmm. But okay, fair enough. As Marlinchen's late night trysts, she only goes out twice, Mm -hmm. grow more fervent and frequent, she only goes out twice. So does the threat of her father's rage and magic. And while Oblia flourishes with culture and bustles with enterprise, a monster lurks in its midst, born of intolerance and resentment and suffused with old world power. Okay. True. Okay. Caught between history and progress and blood and desire, Marlinchen must draw upon her own magic to keep her city safe and find her place within it. No. I'm sorry. I disagree with that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Marlinchen is very deliberately, brutal name, is very deliberately mm-hmm. written as a sort of socially awkward weirdo who's a little bit yep. pathetic. She does not use her powers to thwart anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I was expecting, like from reading that, I was expecting mm-hmm. a sort of young witch who's like, bang, bang, pow, my name's Marlinchen, and I'm here to fuck shit up. No, no. That is not who Marlinchen is. And it's okay. It's okay that she's not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Was that too much? With the name like Marlinchen, you Brutal, think this right? woman is walking around being like Zazzle. Do you, no. Yeah, no. Like, she's very quiet. She's socially very weird. and Inept. Yeah. And which makes sense because she's been basically held hostage her entire yep. life. She's a little bit pathetic. Just a little. Enough to where you get real frustrated with her. Or at least I did. She's intentionally written this way, according to the author, Ava Reed. And it was a choice. It that was a the do- entire I'm time. I'm saying it was a choice. Where's my choice? <laughs> That's my favorite vine ever. Where's my choice? I actually think it was really well done. Like this just... The, the book was fantastic. The summaries are terrible. The summary is not truly what this book is about. About. And I say this for a lot of a lot of these books. Also, in the beginning of the summary, it mentions a curse. Mm-hmm. This curse is on Marlinchen's father, was placed yes. on him by one of the other witches that used to live in town that he sort of drove away all her business. So she came to their house, cursed him, mm-hmm. and then turned into a bunch of vipers and slithered yeah, into yeah, the garden. Yeah. And it took them like a couple years to catch all <laughs> to catch all these snakes. I, they ate them. They did, I believe, they because ate the, the curse was that he would never be mm-hmm. satisfied by anything. So he's exactly. constantly needing more money, constantly needing more from his daughters, and more specifically, the thing that comes up the most is he cannot never be satisfied by food. So he is always mm-hmm. eating. I want to say this again, just in case you you heard the trigger warnings and thought I can do it. We're going to be talking a lot about food and like food relationships mm-hmm. and sort of disturbing descriptions of eating. Yeah. So if that if that is not good for you, please please take care of yourself. I just wanted to give that little thing because it's gross. Yes. It's get it gets gross. Can we also mention that the the person who put this curse on their father, her name is 
Titka Whiskers. And I really just, out of everything in this book, it felt the most out of place, but also the most on point name mm-hmm. for this world. And when you read it, you'll get what I'm saying. This book is outlandish. Yeah. In the absolute, I don't want to say the best way, no. but it is absolutely outlandish. I have trouble even saying, like, because I don't agree with many of the criticisms of this book. I would purchase this book to keep in my collection. Mm -hmm. I feel weird saying I enjoyed it, but I couldn't put it down. I definitely didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing. I didn't like this book, but Ava Reed is such a good writer. I mean, she's making the most depraved, dark things sound like poetry. It is in she's Ava Reed, known listener of the pod. I'm just trying to let you know we we think you're a fantastic writer. We might have to dive into a couple of your. Well, wait, is this her second book? Right, it is. This is yeah, her second she book? Uh, wrote yeah. Wolf in the Woodsman, which I actually yeah, own. we're gonna have to dive into. It. Yeah, it's a, oh. yeah. I read it. I feel like a couple of years ago. I have it uh, in my parents' house. I think it's not like this. That that's totally fine. But, I'm um, just saying it, maybe it could fit a fall vibe like uh, yeah. September. We can talk oh, about Oh, we should have read this in October. This is like a grim fairy tale type thing. Mm-hmm. In fact, and like I said it, yes. in the, actually the the summary, it's inspired by a grim fairy tale, the juniper tree. Uh, it's just like the grim fairy tales leaves a weird taste in your mouth. Grim is in the name. Yeah. It's right there. <laughs> so Zachariah, I think I've made it clear to mm-hmm. our audience now that I didn't like the summaries. What were your Mm -hmm. sort of initial feelings about this? Did you have any thoughts going into it? Do you have any thoughts coming out of it, the other side? (laughs) (laughs) Going into it, I I did not know what to expect. All I had heard was that it was dark. And then someone went on to tell me it was very dark, in fact. And they were not incorrect in any capacity. Mm -hmm. This was dark. I was uncomfortable every day single page. There was not one page I felt reprieve. Mm-hmm. And I not one page. Reading this felt like one long sustained panic attack because <laughs> that's how it felt. I mean, really, truly, I could not put it down. Mm-hmm. I, I you want to keep going because it is an active train wreck. You have to keep going. You have to keep going because you're like desperately hoping for some catharsis at the end. Is any justice had? What happens here? In a lot of ways, sure, this is not a spoiler. I feel like a lot of stories that are fairy tales, there's some kind of ending that is at least semi, you know, doable or usable or preferable. I don't know. But not the grim ones, though. (laughs) Not the grim ones. No, no, no. Not the grim ones, of course. I think that if I could go back in time, I don't know that I would read this as fast as I did. Mm. I think I would take a little bit more time and care with myself. I know that there were trigger warnings. I did not do a great job of taking our own advice, which is, uh, you know, I have a little bit of history with some of these trigger warnings that we're talking about here, and I don't have to get into that. That's not what this podcast is about. However, I was viscerally uncomfortable Mm -hmm. at many, many of the spots. All of that being said, I am going, I will argue until I'm blue in the face that I think Ava Reed is one of the best writers I have read in a while. I just think that she is so incredibly talented. One of the trigger warnings was anti-Semitism. We were kind of talking about this in prep. Yeah, There are a group of people in this book, right? We're reading this book as part of Jewish American Heritage Month. And in this book, there are a group of people. Yes, (laughs) woohoo. Sorry, there was like a delay on my side. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to leave that in. That's fun. There's a group of people in this book called Yahuli. And those people are treated with suspicion and anger and 
everybody kind of acts like, oh, they have all of these XYZ innate, quote unquote, character characteristics. And obviously, they're meant to be a stand in for Jews in some capacity. Out of all the trigger warnings, it's probably the one that's lowest on the actual in-your-faceness of them. It really only comes from a couple of people. Mm-hmm. You're only yes. really seeing it from people who you are supposed to already hate, right? You're supposed to hate these people that this hate is coming from. For the ending, if we're talking about big thoughts here, I thought it was going to tie up very differently than what it did. Was I fine with the ending? Yes. Was I upset with the ending? Not not entirely upset with the ending, but I did think it was going to be much different, if I can tell you that. At no point did I know where the story was going at any time. I had I had no idea where this was going at any one no. time. I really enjoyed it, though. I have to say, I really enjoyed it, despite all of the trigger warnings and how dark it was. Yeah. The enjoyment thing is the factor where I'm like, ugh, it's not the right word. Would I read this again? Yeah, I would. Not in its entirety. I would want to reread certain scenes and then stay away from others. If I could could have saved yes. myself from reading certain words, I would have. Yeah. But all of it's important. All of yeah. it is has a purpose. And before we dive too deep into that purpose, I want to take mm-hmm. a minute just to formally introduce you, the lovely listener, to our characters. Mm-hmm. I mentioned Marlinchen. She's our main character. Brace yourself for these names. We have Undyne. And it could be pronounced different than Undyne. The reason I'm saying Undyne is because of a video game uh, that one of the places or the people was named Undyne. And uh, so that's just where hmm. I'm getting that from. It's a, that game where you're a person, you go into the underground. You, I'll show you what it is. I don't want to look it up right now. But Undertale? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. I thought I, thought I knew what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So there's this oldest sister, Undyne. There's the middle sister, Rosenrot, who goes by Rose. But Rosenrot is actually not that bad. That's kind of a cool name. Low key. And then Marlinchen is the baby of the family. Their father is Zmai Vashchenko, who is the last great wizard of this, mm-hmm. of Obla. I'm sorry. Oblia. Oblia. My mouth is made for Latin and Greek. It's not made for, made for this. So I apologize for all of the uh, the butchering. That's our core family. Zmai is a tyrannical overlord. He's heavily abusive to all mm-hmm. his daughters. He's cursed and he blames them for it. Mm-hmm. So as we're saying, this is the main cast of characters. You'll notice there is a dad and three daughters. Uh, what is missing here is a hmm. is a mother, is a wife. Um, like many, many fairy tales, grim or otherwise, the mother is not here. And... Uh, we're going to let you read the book and figure that part out, but um, good luck. Just know, just know the barrier mother trope is real. Yep. Okay. We can. <laughs> On to the next. <laughs> the next couple of folks here Sebastian, who is the man that Marlinchen meets out and about at the ballet. This is the principal dancer. He is Yahuli and is he's quite young i believe 21 yeah. i think younger than marlinchen mm-hmm. um in the in the book here then you have durkach who is sebastian's handler kind of his agent in some way big not great vibes here not not great vibes another abuser it's like dadager but in a really not great way uh and i'm going to also leave it at that because that's a lot the last one we have here is Dr. Bacay, and I really don't want to get into 
too much. <laughs> Michaela, you're making a you're making a face. Do you want to tell us about Dr. Bacay? <laughs> the only thing that I will say about Dr. Bacay before I throw up in my mouth from thinking about him is in the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses are considered especially heinous. In New York City, the dedicated detectives who investigate these vicious felonies are members of an elite squad known as the Special Victims Unit. These are their stories. Dun dun. <laughs> oh my God. What I don't like is how much pleasure I got from that happening, but, but it's in the context of this vile human. We're not going to actually give you any details about this human. We're not going to tell you anything other than he postures himself as a doctor of sorts. He postures himself as a human being, but he's not. That's the secret. <laughs> not literally. Like it's, it's actually not a plot point, but he is deplorable. All of deplorable. these characters could be a, their own episode of Law & Order SVU. <laughs> And in fact, they are like an episode in waiting. And I'll like tell you what, <laughs> Olivia Benson, Detective Olivia Benson would knock mm -hmm, that guy on his mm -hmm. motherfucking ass. Anywho. Like, we're not here for copaganda. We're not here for copaganda, but we absolutely are here for Olivia Benson. <laughs> I'll defend <laughs> Olivia Benson with my life. <laughs> so those are some of our some of our main cast and crew, for better or for You're worse. You're very admirably trying to get us back on track here. So here we go. <laughs> We've given you a sort of loose concept about this, what this book is about. We can't super go into detail because it's hard to dance around a lot of things. We have to be very mm -hmm. vague and that's irritating to some people. So we don't want to do that. There are some things though I do want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Number one, I want to talk about how well Ava Reed uses gore as a literary tool. Oh yeah. Now I am a scary movie person. I like scary movies. I've watched a lot of them. Uh, usually in college on a random Tuesday at like 10 a.m., you could find me watching The Conjuring by myself like a real weirdo. I was going through it at the time. We don't need to go into it. I like scary movies. I'm not the biggest fan of gratuitous gore, but a little bit, I think, goes a long way <laughs> to selling your point. I would agree. Sure. Ava Reed does an amazing job at using those scenes that you would see in a horror movie where they're really zoomed in on someone like cutting up a cucumber and it should be totally normal because they're just cutting up a cucumber, but you've got that ooky spooky mm -hmm. feeling at like the back of your mm -hmm. neck. Ava Reed can write that. It's astounding the way that she's able to make you feel the presence in your room while you are actively reading yep. words from a dead tree. Yep. Like, <laughs> And she's said before on her TikTok and on her social media, the shock factor value of gore is a tool. It's purposefully yep. there. Yes, there are things written in this book that are really icky. <laughs> like, I can't describe them any other way. It's really icky. But it, you can tell that it's necessary. And you know that it's driving yeah. the plot. And it's seamlessly involved to where it as disgusting as some of it is, it feels natural to the characters because they're all freaking weirdos. Like, yeah. Of course you would do that. <laughs> Of course you would. <laughs> the description of the gore is, it's almost, it is beautiful. It's poetic. The way that she's described, it is absolutely the way that she has such a command of language. Because this is kind of told through Marlinchen's POV, but like in an odd kind of way. Because she'll be talking about how things touched her finger, things didn't touch somebody else. It's just kind of an odd, like she's got so much perception happening all the time. Yeah. And so she's clued into all the gore. Absolutely. The second thing that she uses is a very interesting tool. Stay with me on this. It's going to be hard to follow. Cannibalism. Mm -hmm. 
rough opening to anything. (laughs) (laughs) She uses cannibalism as this sort of Mm -hmm. allegory, this sort of representation of what coping with very intense and ongoing trauma does to you Mm -hmm. when these cannibal things are happening. (laughs) You Well, really, it it is a great... It's less about the fact that they are mm-hmm. engaging in cannibalism and more about what it's doing to them. Mm-hmm. Now, Zmai, we've said, is cursed with food. He cannot get enough ever to be satiated. Certain things get close. Nothing ever mm-hmm. hits the mountaintop. And the certain things that get close get heavier descriptions in the book. Yep. And reading through them for a second time with the sort of lens of looking at it through like a metaphor... Rather than mm-hmm. taking it literally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's trauma. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, That's real trauma. And how it's almost used, their own trauma with their father is used as a weapon against them. He turns it back around and keeps pummeling oh, yeah. them with it. When one thing fails, when they stop reacting to one thing, he flips it on its head and does something completely other, otherwise outlandish. They are becoming the physical representation of that. And cannibalism is a great way to represent that. <laughs> It feels very strange to say. I mean, it's literally happening in the book, literal, actual cannibalism. But remember, Zmai is the great last wizard, and these are his progeny, these witches, and they're soon to be the last of their kind. He's literally eating his young alive. He is making it difficult for these beings to survive in the world. He's eating his young, truly, honestly, in more ways than one. Not to quote Hosier, (laughs) but uh, I'm starving. Darling. <laughs> Darling. I'm not going to say the next line because it makes me uncomfortable in the context nope, of this good, book. we're good, we're good. The focus on food, like it always does, gave me the ick. Now, one specific mm. scene was playing in my head. Actually, two. Okay. The first one was from Lord of the Rings when Denethor is eating his, uh, what is it, a plum? And yeah. it's zoomed in really tight on his mouth. And it's mm-hmm. like... <laughs> Sorry for making that noise. And it's horrible. When I make a clip of this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to include that in a clip. Go on. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know <laughs> that welcome. this is yeah. retribution <laughs> for the clip. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair Go enough. ahead. Mm-hmm. That same feeling, the heebie-jeebie feeling that you get from watching that scene is present throughout this entire fucking mm-hmm. book. The second scene that was playing in my head mm-hmm. is actually from the Grimm fairy tale movie, The Grimm's Brothers, okay. which came out. I don't know, early 2000s. There's a scene. I don't know that I've watched that. Uh, it's horrible. I wouldn't. Oh, well, horrible. Horrible good or horrible? Horrible, like gory, gross, mediocre. icky. No, no, no. Not mediocre. Just icky. Okay. It's disturbing. There's a scene which I guess is probably a, something, a representation of one of the room fairy tales. I'm not familiar with them. There's a horse and the horse opens its mouth in this scene and it's filled with spiders and it's got like all spider webs and, like, and it eats a child. That scene was playing in my head. <laughs> Zachariah's face. <laughs> what my do parents, you mean? My parents let me watch that when I was like 12. You shut your mouth. This was a kid's movie? No. <laughs> oh, okay. I was the like, this sounds, just dark. Like, this sounds interesting. <laughs> we haven't traumatized our child enough. Let's do this. <laughs> you know, I don't want to push back on this, like the ick. I don't want to push back on the ick factor you're talking about in descriptions of food. I actually found it to be super satisfying the way that this food is being described. Even if I was uncomfortable by it, Mm -hmm. it was kind of satisfying being like, I understand like why you have the ick, 
However, I do think that the descriptions are so well done that it makes your stomach upset, but it's also like, I wish I could know what that tastes like. I wish I could, not the cannibalism, just to be clear. Not We're the not cannibalism. keeping that in. <laughs> we can totally keep it in. I'm talking about the kvass. The blackberry uh, wines, yeah. Yeah, some of the, and like the little dumpling things. I'm like, oh. Yeah, I mean, well, the chicken sounded great too, but I don't necessarily want to eat at their house, you know? <laughs> Oh no, I would, it was weird. There was one description specifically that sort of freaked me out. Um, the father, like we said, he he cannot be satisfied. So mm-hmm. in, at points he gets so overwrought and overwhelmed with his own hunger that he will eat every single thing in the kitchen. Marlinchen will yeah. go downstairs to make him breakfast as is part of her routine and everything will be gone because he will have eaten it raw and uncooked and in whatever state that it was in, he will eat it, he will drink it, he will take it all in. And that to me was even more of a metaphor than anything else, not just between the father and the daughters that he has taken literally everything from them, their identities, yeah. their personhood, their magic, their wills. Mm-hmm. It's xenophobia. It's, it's, it's nationalism. It's what happens when a group of mm-hmm. people, it's colonialism, if anything else, when a group of people come into a new culture and devour it in its entirety and leave nothing behind and then blame the survivors. <laughs> Man, it's just crazy to like think about like the way that Marlinchen has a relationship with food versus her father's relationship with food. It It's basically the exact opposite, right? She does not want to allow herself to be satisfied and he cannot get enough to be satisfied. It is is the most toxic relationship I've ever witnessed. And Marlinchen is the one who suffers from bulimia. And I won't get into this too much because I'm not trying to I'm not trying to do that. Marlinchen, as you said, is punishing herself near constantly for the sins of her mm-hmm. father when it comes to dealing with people from the outside, his temper, his abruptness, his rudeness, his unwillingness to work with anyone for the silliest mm-hmm. reasons. She's often apologizing for that. She's apologizing for the behavior of her sisters towards her. You know, Undyne is abusive towards her, not as much as the father is, mm-hmm. but Undyne's response to her own trauma is to dump on Marlinchen and blame her for everything. You know, but Rose gets away with a lot. Oh, she does. We'll get into that for sure. Rose gets away with a lot. Yep. But Marlinchen is the punching bag and that's what she exists like. And that's why there are so many points in this book that I was like, speak up, stand up. But she can't. It doesn't cross her mind to. Her sisters even point it out. They say, you've allowed this to happen. You haven't said one word. We have slapped you. You haven't said one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there like, yeah, somebody tell her that she can, she has agency. Yeah. Uh, it's just, man. Well, that was, a, that was actually from the book. It said, uh, you know, no one ever told me I was allowed to yell. Yeah. Heartbreak. I know this poor woman. Well, I, I feel felt- horrible for her for the whole time. But also she's so frustrating. I felt mad at her and I felt guilty for feeling mad. That was my whole experience with Marlinchen. It was cycling between anger and wanting to shake her and wanting to be like, you are capable. <laughs> Tell him to fuck, put poison in his goddamn food. <laughs> like, what are we doing? It wouldn't cross her mind. It wouldn't even enter into a realm possibility because that's how she was raised. She's existed her entire life in isolation and she is treated despite being probably one of the more more abused of the sisters, she's treated Mm -hmm. like her father's favorite, quote unquote. Her sisters begrudge her because her father, quote unquote, favors her, but it's because she's so far under his thumb. Docile. 
Marlinchen as a character is that person inside of you who kind of just wants to give up and has and feels like they just cannot succeed, even if they wanted to. Undyne is like this repressed rage as a person. Yeah. Like just fully come out, but still not taking that additional step that you're talking about. It doesn't ever feel like her rage is really truly justified at the other people. It's just everybody's doing that. They're putting their the hurt on other people. Rosenrot is the cycle of abuse. Rosenrot's the manipulator. Yeah. Rosenrot is the person who is abused by society, by a person, by whomstever, and continues to abuse other people as a result of it. But she does it in one of the worst ways you can, which is just pure manipulation, gaslighting. Yeah. She pretends to be a friend. She pretends to have all the answers. And her relationship with Marlinchen and her relationship with Undyne are two very different things. I don't want to get too far into it because there's so many things I want to say, but no, I don't want to spoil. I, I know. I don't want to spoil it. Rosenraw is really Gaslight Gatekeep girl boss as a, like yeah. an abused character. Like that's really... Yeah. Gatekeep for sure. Well... I mean, yeah, she's she's not really girl bossing in um, pseudo Russia. She's not really out there. <laughs> girl boss. She's not really. <laughs> Go grow your plants, girl. <laughs> yeah. Something you said earlier I'd like to call back to, mm -hmm. which is that you did not know for one moment where this book was going. No. I couldn't have guessed in my dizziest daydreams what the ending to this book would be. I had hopes of what it would be mm -hmm. without giving it away. Some of those hopes were met. Others of those hopes were dashed in the most uprooting way possible. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea where this book was going at any one time, just as we've said multiple times during this. I think this is probably the truest example of how this was, in fact, a dark, grim fairy tale retelling. Because during those, you don't. The most out of left field solutions are provided to people as though it just makes total sense. And that's what this book kind of kept doing the whole time. And so in that vein, I thought she did a very good job of kind of staying in that same kind of in that same kind of lane, really, with how the other fairy tales kind of go. A character who in a fairy tale would end up mm -hmm. either dying or being transformed into some sort of mouse type creature or whatever. You know, some something mm -hmm. would befall them. They ended up getting arrested. <laughs> And it was this yeah. strange meeting of a magical, fantastical world where I'm supposed to believe that these people are witches and this industrial world that is more close to our reality. And I was like, wait, mm -hmm. what? He got arrested and went to trial? It was an episode of Law & Order SVU? <laughs> it literally was. He was. 88 Cabot was there? <laughs> it's absolutely insane that this happened. But I think that that is great. You, what you just described is a great example of the tension that this book has actively built in every single chapter against the old world and the new. That's the whole allure of these witch sisters to the town. They are the vestige of the old world while the rest of the new kind of starts to come in. Now they brought this thing called democracy. Did you catch that little line mm -hmm. in the book? This thing called democracy being imported from a small island I thought that was interesting. The entire, just like a small little tidbit, just a little interesting thing talking about the trial. So <laughs> I was not expecting that. I want to 
sort of take us through very quickly. We normally like to sort of mm -hmm. wrap up our discussions talking about reviews and what we're happy with and what we're not, <laughs> the way people are reviewing mm -hmm. it. For the most part, people are greeting this book with a lot of praise, which I think they should. But there was quite a bit mm -hmm. of controversy surrounding this book. And I do just want to say one thing very quickly. I saw a lot of people talking about how this book is, quote, too disturbing to be described as a fantasy book. No, it's not. No, it's not. Just because you are measuring it based off of Sarah J. Maas or these fantasy books that are a little bit more modern, fantasy books historically have been very gory. They're filled with war. Do you know what happens in war? <laughs> Almost every fantasy book includes- Got a real surprise for you. Mass genocide will include some sort of slavery style camp will include kidnapping and destabilizing governments. None of these things happen without people dying in them. You're just not used to it. <laughs> it's not too disturbing. They overlook it yeah. because, ooh, there's a romance. Yeah. That happens so sometimes, true. I think. So true. Which is totally fine. Sometimes the actual war is not what the book is about. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's just kind of the backdrop to give you the opportunity to have this romance. Whatever. It's very sure. true. And fair enough, you read what you want. Blah, blah, blah. This is not too gory to be fantasy. No. Don't be silly. And it's certainly not too gory to be gothic. Like what? No. I feel like this actively sits right there at the if it was any worse though i might be like it's Blech. maybe too much for me yeah. <laughs> to read however i think it hits the a really great balance of giving you bits of everything yeah. calling it too dark in general i don't like i will say the one criticism that i might agree with a tiny bit is the sexualization mm. of a lot of things and i don't even like calling it sexualization because it's trauma right? It's more kind of addressing everything is kind of heightened. Like what, what can be seen as appealing to a man or to a stranger, Every, anything at all. Her hair being a certain way over an ear or her dress being one inch down just a little bit. Oh yeah. I should have warned people at the beginning. They use the word nipple like 26 times in this book. <laughs> it's a little much. <laughs> I did not want to say it, but that's where I was going. Every time a nipple is mentioned, Sometimes it's torture. Sometimes it is not torture. It, man, I'm uncomfortable even like reliving I it in know. my brain right now. It, who? I also, do not read this in one sitting and do not read this at night by yourself. I mean, really, don't do it. I also think that one of the criticisms people were saying that it was uh, disturbing because of the mentions of child abuse and the sort of icky sexual things going on. Mm -hmm. It's supposed. I'm sorry. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Yeah. This, this is. That's what that does. But also, you are the same person idolizing toxic relationships in these romance novels that are all about essay and are all very abusive. And you're talking about these people who are stalking women who are so in love yeah, with them crazy. that they, you know, capture them and things like that. And then you see this which is a manifestation of someone's trauma that she decided mm -hmm. to write into a story. You don't get to tell her how to do that. Sorry. No, I didn't want to interrupt you uh, right when you were saying toxic men. I didn't like that, uh, that that happened. Oh, that's a clip. That's a clip. <laughs> the people that I saw that were making those types of comments of being, oh, this is really weird. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to read this. It was a lot of dudes just based upon their profile pictures that they had up, right? Mm-hmm. I really wanted to scream and be like, the reason this makes you uncomfortable is because this is the reality of so many people. 
And you are part of the group that perpetuates the harm. Talking about your own trauma through written word like this, like through a story. I can't speak for Ava. I don't know Ava. I, that's not a thing I can do. She has given us a glimpse into her world and she's telling her truth while also showing us a reality of so many other people. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, this is the vehicle for it, right? This is the way to do it. But if it's making you uncomfortable, maybe sit with that. Think about why it's making you uncomfortable. Of course, there are descriptions of abuse that we are going to make us uncomfortable in general. As they should. As they should. I will say, as we're talking about Mm -hmm. these reviews, Ava Reed does not need us to sit on this podcast and defend her and tell people to stop making these reviews because she is on TikTok doing the good work. She doesn't give a fuck. And it is, laugh out loud, hilarious. She has posted so many videos being like, when you make people mad because you deliberately wrote a pathetic and weird main character who doesn't get a redemption, <laughs> like who doesn't have a redeeming moment, like she's just fucking weird. She has posted and said she doesn't care. And that to me is such a beautiful relationship between author and piece of work and reviewer. When the reviewer is like, it's a healthy balance of both parties not caring. The reviewer being able to say what they actually think, which they should be able mm-hmm. to, and the author being like, of course, don't care. <laughs> it's amazing. I love it so much. I'm obsessed with Ava Reed, and I definitely will read anything that she puts out mm-hmm. following this book. I think I'm going to pay more attention to the trigger warnings and read it a little bit slower next time. I'm pretty sure so. she has a dark academia book. Or is one coming out? Something There's Did, something happening with a dark academia There's situation. something in the works. Ava Reed, listen, if you're listening right now and you want to come tell us about your new book, we would love to have you tell on. Tell us how and much also, you do not care about our review. That would bring me much joy. We want, we want you to come on and say, I don't care what you fucking think, Zach. Yeah. No one does. Just <laughs> literally tell us to shut up on our own podcast and we will. Speaking of shutting up on our own podcast, if you enjoyed listening to this episode of Pages Unknown, we would very much appreciate it if you would give us a little like, a review, or a star rating, whatever suits your fantasy. It really does help us to sort of see what works and what doesn't. It bigs us up in the charts so more people find us and come and join this lovely little community that we're building. As we said at the top of the episode, you can find us on TikTok and on Instagram and on Goodreads and on all the, really all the places. We're pretty much everywhere except for like LinkedIn, but I don't know why you would look for us on there. Don't. We put out there. <laughs> we put out new episodes every Wednesday, some more chaotic than others, and we look forward to talking with you very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>